So, we're here, January 6th, the day of the Epiphany of the Lord. So this day in church tradition is the day when God's upside-down kind of ways broke through for the public eye to see. Because God's kingdom has a way of breaking through in the most mundane ways, the most nondescript places, in the form of a baby being born to a woman of no status, being announced to the most marginalized of society, the sheep herders, being honored by wise men who are really just modern-day astrologers, the type of folks who today might be reading and interpreting horoscopes, people we might disregard as wise. God's ways are, are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so God does show up in miraculous ways, like the resurrection of the dead. But God also shows up in the very mundane and nondescript sort of ways. One of my favorite authors, Ruth Haley Barton, describes Epiphany as a season of revelation, the manifestation of God's presence in earthly form, showing up in ordinary and extraordinary places but also to unexpected places and to ordinary and unexpected people. So here's the question of Epiphany. Do you, do we still believe that Jesus shows up to us today in our everyday lives? And if we believe that, are we paying attention to the signs of God's kingdom? the way that Jesus is breaking through in the most mundane of moments, because we have a lot of mundane moments and a few momentous ones. So again, the task of Epiphany is to pay attention and call attention to how God shows up among us, us regular people, in both the miraculous, yes, and the mundane. So we have to notice, but then we have to call attention to it and share it with others. That is evangelism. That is the gospel. So this morning, I'd like to use the story of the epiphany of the three, of the gifts of the three magi, as we traditionally consider them to be three, from the gospel of Matthew. So if you'd like to follow along, Matthew chapter 2, as Kevin just read. Uh, I don't have the page number in front of me. But Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at this story and see that there might be six steps or six observations, perhaps, for joining God's work in building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So first, and most formatively, watch. Watch attentively. So in Matthew 2, 2, it said, For we observed the star at its rising. If they hadn't been paying attention, they would have missed the sign. So like the Magi who saw this star rise, we must be watching. We must be attentive to the signs of Jesus, of God's kingdom breaking through here and now, in our own homes, in our own town, in our own grocery stores, in the miraculous and the mundane. Secondly, read 
faithfully. So they watched attentively and they read faithfully because these wise men, though they were essentially pagans, they were completely outside of Jewish tradition. They knew the truth and they recognized the truth when they read it and when they saw him, when they saw the truth. Because in Matthew 2, 5, it says, They told him, In Bethlehem and Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Ju- Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is a shepherd to my people Israel. So they knew the truths of the scriptures, even though they were pagans. And they believed the truth. And maybe that truth was setting them free. So they watched, they read, they worshipped joyfully. Matthew 2.10 says, When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they knelt down and paid him homage. So how are you worshipping Jesus? And I don't just mean singing in church. How are you paying homage to Jesus with your everyday mundane going about your regular life? How do you give honor to Jesus? So they watch, they read, they worshiped, and fourthly, they they gave. They gave generously. Matthew 2.10, it said, Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. N.T. Wright, a bishop in the Anglican church, he says, The gifts that the Magi brought were the sorts of things that that people in the ancient world would think of as appropriate to bring to kings or even to gods. What Matthew tells us about these gifts is political dynamite. Jesus is the true king of the Jews, and old Herod is a false one, a usurper, an imposter. They were willing to bring this child who they crossed boundaries across their country lines to get to, to bring him valuable gifts, gifts that signified deity, Gifts that signified kingship, and even myrrh, which foreshadowed his death. This fragrant perfume, as we sang earlier, that, that brings with it tears and somberness, the death that would face this Christ child. So how can you give generously? What do you have to offer? There's a few songs, even the one we sang this morning, What Have I to Offer?, if I was a shepherd, I would, I would bring him my sheep. If I were a wise man, I would bring him my gifts. So what do you have to offer to Christ? Give him that. He would be overjoyed. And listen carefully is five, fifth. Listen carefully. Matthew 2.11, it said, Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by a different route. So again, they had not only read and and listened and followed the star, they then were willing to listen to a dream and follow in obedience. Because if they had gone back to Herod, 
they would have probably lost their lives. They are the bearers of Herod's bad news. And Herod then went on a killing spree, killing all the infant babies in in Bethlehem. Committed mass homicide to protect his rule, his authority. So we had better be listening carefully. And sixthly, following obediently. So the whole theme of this passage of the wise men really centers around them them coming from the east to Jerusalem, that first verse. To follow obediently, even if it means to approach those in authority, they went right to the head honcho. And they said, you must know who's in charge. Where is this king of the Jews? Now, again, N.T. Wright, he says of Herod, Herod the Great had no royal blood. He wasn't even fully Jewish. But he was simply an opportunist military commander whom the Romans made into a king to further their own agendas. Why do you think Herod is so disturbed by what the Magi had to tell them? Why Why would someone who risked everything, who lied to get himself into office, would be upset by three random guys coming from across the land, across the the borders of their country, to tell him, there's a king here. There's a king of the Jews, and he's a baby, and we'd like to go find him. Do you know where he is? I mean, he, he had risked everything, and he's pretty angry that these guys just came and said, you're not the real king, but, but we'd like to find him. Another um, minister, Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, she describes the Magi as key witnesses to both the threat and the promise of the Christ child. So Herod knows. He knew how to deal with these revolts that were coming These ideas that the Messiah was coming, that the real king of the Jews was on his way. The way he was going to do that, as I already mentioned, is slaughtering every baby boy in the town of Bethlehem. That is what power does. It does, it stops at nothing to maintain power and control and manipulation and oppression. But God's kingdom is upside down, and he comes in the form of the lowliest, the helpless baby, who would take authority simply by loving people, by healing people, by making people whole, because that's what we all need and want, is wholeness, not a dictator. These magi, they followed obediently. They were willing to go to the strangest of places, Bethlehem, a tiny little town hardly anyone knew of. So are you willing to follow to a strange place? Whatever that might look like. It might be a literal town. It might be a location somewhere in Monroe. It might be to to encounter an authority as the wise men did, to oppose their authority even. The wise men were following obediently by being willing to believe that God's kingdom does, in fact, unfold in the most unlikely of ways. So the way, as I said, that Jesus came into the world, he set the stage for bringing honor to the lowly, 
for breaking all societal norms, for usurping conventional authority, and saying, no, we're gonna, we're gonna lead from underneath instead of oppression. As, as kind of an aside, you may have heard us say in the last few weeks, we are the way that God's healing and wholeness will break through today. God is using us. We are the body of Christ. It's up to us to bring his healing and wholeness into the world. That probably feels like a big responsibility, and it should. We can't give up hope. We're the ones who have to continue to bring the light of the world into the dark places that exist around us. And the Gospel of Matthew continues with this theme of light all throughout his books. All of his discipleship stories about becoming like Jesus and following Jesus, they talk about light. Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. You let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. And in John, John says, Jesus is the light of the world. So both Jesus and we as his body are the lights of the world. And in Matthew 13, then the righteous will shine like the sun in, their, in the kingdom of their Father. Let everyone with ears listen. So we are it. We are the plan. Jesus has come to heal and make us whole, and we're the plan for continuing that healing and wholeness. At the very end of Matthew, Jesus commissions his followers, you may have heard of the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples of every nation. Our going, our willingness to be the ones to follow Jesus into the darkness, into authority position, against authorities who are using their power to abuse the weak, to go to the most unlikely of places, our willingness to follow obediently is how the prophecies about the Messiah's kingship will come true. Because it talks about a worldwide rule and we, his people, his body here and now, are the way that his love, his healing, and wholeness are spreading. So on this Epiphany Sunday, we have to ask again, are epiphanies just a thing of the past? Are they just a thing, a special revelation that happened for the Magi to find the Christ child? I don't think so. I think Christ comes again and again every day in the mundane going about lives that we live. Reuben P. Job, former bishop of the United Methodist Church, says Epiphany gives us the time and the resources to wait, wait, watch, listen, look, and anticipate the light and truth of the Lord's presence in our midst. So this invitation of Epiphany is to call attention and pay attention to the ways that the light of Jesus has come and is continuing to appear in our lives, showing up in the miraculous and the mundane. And when we're watching attentively for him, when we follow obediently, when we listen, 
When we read his scriptures, we will have stories to tell about how we encounter God. Because remember, this is the way the Messiah will reign, by us telling our stories. We are the light of the world. So let us live up to that. Let us be evangelicals in the truest sense of the word, sharing the good news with all who will listen. The ongoing revelation of God becoming flesh. And in remembrance of this God became flesh, we partake each Sunday in the bread and the cup. Our reminder that Jesus was flesh and blood, that he comes to us in the most ordinary of things, bread and juice, wine, daily partaking, Jesus is with us. And we can come to his table with grace and truth.